Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Seeking Witchcraft. I'm your host, Ashley. And today I have on Gabby, who is going to be talking all about using your voice and magic or aka the magical voice. So Gabby, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Ashley. So as you said, my name is Gabby. I'm a Gardnerian high priestess. And as well as practicing and teaching Wicca, I also teach eclectic Wiccan-based witchcraft. I've been a solitary witch as well as a member of groves and of covens. Um, I've been running small and large pagan rituals and gatherings in both private and public settings for more than 25 years. And these events have usually had an emphasis on group practice, combining music, storytelling, dance, dance, meditation, silence, gestures, movement, and also an excess of decorative elements because you always need to have the shiny. But um, I like to give uh, witches and pagans the tools to practice their crafts in ways that work for them. And my background is in video and TV production, scheduling, music, and events. And so given this, I, I try to draw upon all of those practical lessons and elements of the mundane crafts to complement and enhance my magical and my ritual world and just a heads up I'm not a professional singing teacher or a vocal coach but I am an experienced ritualist witch and singer songwriter and I try and weave music into most of my rituals and magic and as everyone can hear I am also Australian which means that I circle backwards and my elemental correspondences are upside down but I did translate things for everybody so hopefully it will all make sense and you can understand me. Oh, yeah, I think we'll be able to understand. But, you know, actually, that might be something new for the listener. So could you explain what you mean when you say that you circle backwards compared to us so in this hemisphere? With, it's, it's all to do with the directions and the apparent movement of the sun through the sky. So for the northern hemisphere, which is most of the time you would be going um, clockwise, and for us we would be going anti-clockwise. Same with a lot of the standard um, elemental attributions so we swap north and south for um, fire and earth because our place of greatest light is in the north and our place of greatest darkness is in the south so not everyone does it that way but the majority tend to do that so we we tend to go to casting our circles and everything in a an anti-clockwise direction as well so basically backwards and upside down which is mostly Australia. <laughs> well, thank you for explaining that. I, I, as you said that, I was like, oh gosh, you know, I think we should probably get into that. I'm not sure if everyone has uh, yeah. heard of that concept before. Um, but, but yeah, so going back to the topic. So what is exactly the magical voice? I mean, I'll, I'll say, I know what, what uh, this topic is in the sense of, uh, we have obviously talked about it before recording this episode. And when we got together about this, uh, I, I think this is such a cool topic. Like, I think this is such an interesting thing that we're going to dive into. Uh, I know this is something I personally would love to incorporate a lot more in my craft. This is not something I use as often as I would like to. So I'm super stoked to hear about all the different things that you have to share today, because I already know I'm going to be stealing <laughs> some of this from my own personal practice. So I appreciate you so That's much. Okay. For and look, I still chat from everywhere as well. Um, I in my time of being a witch, I've heard lots and lots of chants and over time I've worked out how to write them and how to use them. So I find it, I'm a really passionate 
chanting kind of person and I do find that I incorporate them into my rituals a lot mostly because it gives everyone something to do and a way of joining in but without um being uh too intense around um like lots of words that people need to to learn so we try and keep it short and sweet and everyone can join in and feel like they're they're contributing in a good way but for me the magical voice is a collective term for all of the ways in which we can use our voices in ritual and magic and that does include chanting it's both the when we use it and the how we use it so we might be howling under the full moon with a hundred other witches in a park which i've done on many occasions or we could be chanting softly in our bedrooms by the light of a single candle and we're trying not to wake up our household but it's also everything in between and to me, the magical voice is active and it's performed with will and intent. And I know that, you know, everyone always uses those words and that's because they do actually fit with a lot of the things that we're doing in Wicca and witchcraft. And the magical voice doesn't really rely on perfect pitch or a loud volume. You don't actually have to be a singer. Uh, it's more of a deliberate state of being. It's a form of energy work. It's a tool and it does take practice to use, as does most uh, magical tools. You know, I think it's interesting talking about taking practice to use because initially someone might think of, you know, memorizing the chants or knowing which context or the tone or pitch to use them. But for me, when I when I hear that, I actually think of it in practicing getting comfortable with using a ritual voice because doing something like a chant, there could be a barrier sometimes to saying a chant out loud without that fear or nervousness of sounding silly or feeling silly oh, for definitely. what you're doing. And I found, yeah. And, you know, I, I found through my practice that the more you just kind of push against that barrier and just do it over and over and over again, at some point you, that anxiety, I guess you could say, or call it kind of drifts away. And then it's not even a thing that you think about anymore. But it can be really scary and really confronting. And so that's why um, with some of the notes that I put mm -hmm. together for these podcasts, I've kind of gone into ways of starting out and how to actually um, get yourself used to chanting because it can be really confronting. And, you know, there's some fabulous chants out there. There's some not so good chants out there. And so if you maybe go with one of the ones that doesn't quite work very well, you can think, well, I can't chant. But you really can. It's just a case of learning how to use the magical voice, just like you'd learn how to dance in a circle. I mean, it's it's all basically just building up skills and building up our use of particular tools in our ritual practice. Definitely. And, you know, actually, you brought up a good point. We should probably mention this now at the beginning of the episode. We are planning to have a part two to this episode because Gabby has pulled together so <laughs> many amazing resources and information for this that I was like, we can't we can't do this in one episode. I don't want you to cut anything out because this is so good. So let's do two. So stay tuned. There's definitely yeah, going to be a part two to this one. I just basically sent Ashley a brain dump. So you'll just have to all deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> a musical brain dump. Yeah. It, it was all fabulous. It, it was amazing. I was I was so impressed, I, and I'm still so impressed. But yeah, anyway, that's sorry. okay. Um, I just wanted away. to go into uh, like I did mention that um, that magical voice is an active thing. So I thought I probably should explain a bit about passive and active because it is something that we use in rituals and identifying that can actually help you. So as an example of the difference between passive and active, say we're singing along to our favourite playlist or we're attending a concert. I'm actually going to a concert tonight, so um, so this would be great. I haven't been to one for a while. Um, so 
it may feel Ooh. magical and special when we're singing along, but it's generally a passive act because we aren't usually singing with the magical voice um, unless we're willfully channeling the energy of the song to some particular purpose. So there are heaps of songs that I've sung along to as I did the washing up or I swept the floor or I danced around the kitchen. It's a great way to pass the time doing mundane things. And I listen to podcasts when I'm cleaning or I sing around the kitchen or I listen to playlists. But I've also sung those same songs in a ritual setting. And the difference is actually palpable because I'm singing along with intent and focus and I'm deliberately using my voice as a tool to raise and channel the energies by my will so it's a deliberate act and I'm not saying that you can't sing along to a great playlist whilst you're cleaning and making it magical at the same time just that you have to actively choose to make it magical and yes I do have sweeping chants and songs and um, if we've got time I will chant one at everyone a bit later because I do have sweeping chants but also as a full disclosure, in case, you know, people listening are thinking, I'd be too embarrassed to chant things. I'd be terrible, as, as Ashley, you were saying before. My take is don't worry about it. Dancing around a kitchen, singing, doing lots of things by yourself, that's fine. That's how you actually get used to doing it. Don't be embarrassed. I've written many rituals whilst I've danced around my kitchen. I plot the energy patterns by drawing them and then dancing them, and I sing them. My phone is full of little weird vocal sketches that I might want to use for a chant um, or a spell. And I want everyone to understand that writing and performing chants takes work and witchcraft is an actual craft. So we need to work on our techniques. And sometimes that means learning a chant or an entire ritual whilst we're washing up. And I've done lots of things where I've taped ritual scripts above my sink. So I'm learning the ritual as I'm washing up or, um, or cleaning or sweeping or something. So it just takes time. You're not going to be brilliant at it as soon as you start, but it's that choosing as with all things in magic it's choosing to actually do something choosing to start something choosing to use a tool it's not just accidentally waving a wand or accidentally singing a note and creating magic as much as we'd all probably like to be wingardium leviosaing and everything uh it doesn't generally work that way so we, we just have to actively choose what we're doing and we practice it and then we'll get it gosh you know i, I may or may not have have a, a a couple of those little vocal recordings on my phone that you're it's talking fabulous. about <laughs> of, of yep yeah things i want to remember or learn to sing for later or say uh yeah and i may or may not have played these on repeat while doing things like washing my hands doing the dishes yeah taking a shower because... <laughs> totally so this but, definitely I mean, people to go to me. rituals and they see like say there's a priestess running a ritual or something and you know they're word perfect and all the movements are there and everyone looks like they really know what they're doing and it's like yeah they do but that's because they've spent so much time chanting to themselves in the car as they're driving to work I mean I used to learn I've learned so many long charges as I'd be w walking to the train station um, and I've learned meditations and storytelling in the same way like you just keep walking and uh, we've over time developed lots of walking chants Joe, who did your um, wand making um, podcast. She's actually in my mm -hmm. my coven as well, and yes, she's yes. written some fabulous um, walking chants. And we actually were in a band together, so she, we're, she's the other vocalist as well. So Ooh, um, cool. yeah, so there's there's lots of ways that you can practice, and it's not just someone's word perfect straight away. It does actually take work to do it. It's just that most people don't get to see behind the scenes. So I'm I'm pulling back the the temple curtain and letting people know that yeah, that's because people are chanting to themselves and looking strange as they're walking to the train. 
Yep. And, you know, also there's the whole point of uh, fake it till you make it and having that confidence and, you know, doing what you need to do in that moment. Because if you see these high priestesses or high priests or just anybody running a ritual and they seem so confident and their ability, you know, as you were saying, they could be chanting to themselves as they go to the train station, but they could also be faking it till they make it and trying to do the best that they can. And that kind of brings me into that whole thing of, so you've got the just chanting it as you're walking to the station, but then there's the, how do you actually tune uh, turn that into the actual magical voice and so there is a difference so you need one you need to know it, what you're doing well enough that you can then actually put that magical voice energy behind it so I've been working with what I call my magical voice for a really long time because I majored in voice performance in high school and some of the techniques I learned then came in really helpful when I started practicing witchcraft I draw on everything that I've done in my, my mundane life and I pull it into my craft. So learning breath control is fabulously handy for chanting spells. And just because a technique is mundane doesn't mean that we can't use it magically. I can generally hear and feel the subtle or the not so subtle difference in myself when the magical voice kicks in. And I can also hear it in others. And sometimes it's more effective feeling like feeling it rather than hearing it you know that that moment when you get the goosebumps and the hair raises on your arms when the energy kicks in the sung note that comes from elsewhere when you're listening to someone perform that you know you can feel it within yourself when everything just aligns so you'll you'll feel the magical voice within and you'll feel it when someone else is using it um and i think we've all had that moment when even just listening to music you get that um you can just feel it on the skin, that energy that happens. And that's kind of what we're trying to achieve with the magical voice, I think. Yeah. And as you mentioned before, that doesn't mean that you have to have the perfect pitch or tone. You can definitely accomplish that. Totally. Even if you're tone deaf, quote unquote, uh, it's about what's coming through behind that actual voice, if that makes sense. It's the energy that's yep. being put. And it in doesn't have to be loud. It. it can be really, um, really um, quiet, but you can feel it. I mean, some of the most intense charges that I've performed mm-hmm. in rituals have been really quiet, and they've been whispered into somebody's ear. Um, and that's that energy coming through. It's not about the blowing off the roof with your voice. It's about the change in the energy and the resonance more than anything else. Um, and we will talk a bit about that later, I, I think, on like um, on some of the more physical aspects of what we're doing with it. But, again, if you are you need to get used to working with energy, um, you're not going to achieve the magical voice um, or like what I call it without actually being able to manipulate energy through your own body and around you, because that's part of the skills of rituals and spellcasting is that understanding the manipulation of energy. Yeah. And for anybody listening who is not sure how to do that, as it turns out, I I just posted an episode about that. Yes. (laughs) So definitely check that out. It it came out, I want to say, in the beginning of 2022. I think I I I posted either in January or February. Uh, But yeah, it's all about energy. Uh, Definitely check that out if you are curious on how to manipulate energy. Yeah, very much so. And it was good. It was a very good episode too. Yeah, it was good. Oh, thank you. Um, (laughs) I appreciate that. With our magical voice, you know, we're, we're talking about it for from a witch's point of view, but there are actual examples in pop culture that I thought I might touch on because, you know, and people might not Ooh. get what I'm talking about, um, which would make sense. So I'd highly recommend, and I know this is going to sound really strange, but the 
whole information about the magical voice is basically in the Will Ferrell movie Eurovision the Story of Fire Saga. I know it just sounds bizarre, but the idea of a magical note is woven into the plot and the movie itself is hilarious and it's quite moving in an excessively camp way. But it also celebrates a delightful belief in elves, so there's something there for everybody, totally. Um, and I don't expect all of the witches out there to hit the mythical Spiorg note that's mentioned in the movie, but I'm just saying that the feeling that it evokes, that difference between the mundane and the magical, that's what you're after, however briefly. So if you go and watch that Netflix movie, there are moments in there where it, the movie is talking about this note and when you hear it, that's the thing that actually... That's what you're aiming for. Not necessarily that amazing perf perfect pitch or sound or anything, but just the feeling that evokes. On the other side of the scale, what I consider to be an absolute masterpiece, it scares a lot of people, but I still think it's a fabulous movie, is the recent um, folk horror movie Midsummer because it has it's so good. Oh, I love that one. Um, I remember love that movie. I was sitting so in good. the cinema watching that for the first time. We were watching the director's cut actually with a fellow witch girl and um we were basically just elbowing each other the whole time because so many of the techniques are things that we use. Not some of the more gruesome things, but you know, some of the actual mag not the, <laughs> no bear the magical suits. techniques. Because they basically include <laughs> intoning, trance work, keening and energy raising. And also, don't worry if you're not familiar with those terms because I will go into them a bit later. Um, unfortunately, the songs that are used in the movie aren't on the official soundtrack. Someone on YouTube's actually gone and um, cut them all together. But it doesn't quite have the same power out of context because the way that the music is used is and the songs are used are part of the ritual acts. And so they have their power in the context but they're really amazing so in the context of the plot and the rituals the um the songs and the keening and the chanting is absolutely incredible and the director's cut's probably the best one to see because it has more of the ritual bits and they build up a lot more slowly and warning the music the movie is very very gruesome but you know for fabulous musical and ritual theory it's incredibly sound and then, of course, there's, you know, our pagan classic, The Wicker Man, the 1970s one. There isn't another at all. We refuse to acknowledge it. Um, Will Willow's song um, <laughs> is a sung spell in that, and it has a great example of how a song can be channeled, like a folk music song can be channeled into a ritual context and sung as a spell. So I want to feel when I'm performing music in a ritual, I want to feel how Willow's song looks and feels in the movie. I may not be slapping all of the furniture at the same time, but that is something, that feeling. I mean, I, I also just really want to live on Summer Isle and I want to sing lots of spells and dance in processions, but that's that's my jam. But um, that I'm trying to get across the those moments in movies and pop culture where you that thing that makes the hair raise on your arms, that that you you feel that energy. And that's the kind of thing you're trying to tap into when you're looking to use the magical voice. So it's, it's not really important what the actual music is. It's more how you use it, what it means to you in the context of your own rituals and music. Because the, the, um, the magic that I like, the music that I like, that's mine. It may not work for you or for other people. So you've got to find the ones that work for you, but something that evokes that incredible magical feeling in you. And, yeah, so it, it's very much so you've got to find the thing that works for you. It's not going to be for 
everybody. Um, the other one that I wanted to touch on, which is an older one, but um, about music and energy that like I've looked at some of the, the movies, but as I said, I'm going to a concert tonight. If you've been to a concert, you've been to a live gig, you can feel that electricity in the room. It's that energy of hundreds and or thousands of people coming together to sing something and it's incredible and that's palpable feeling on your skin. And we don't often get to do rituals with like hundreds and hundreds of people, especially not lately, of course, but um, that feeling. And you can get that from a, a, a concert as well, but it is kind of passive. The best example that I can probably think of for how energy is manipulated in a kind of concert situation is if anyone's ever seen Freddie Mercury's performance um, with Queen at the Live Aid um, concert, that back and forth. The uh, go watch it if you've never seen it because it is amazing. I mean, they do it in the movie, but it's not it's not as brilliant as watching the real thing. Freddie Mercury engages the crowd in a call and response, and you can almost see the energy. And he also gets the audience totally engaged with actively participating in the music. And audience participation is something that Queen actually deliberately wrote for, and they explored that. So they were actually trying to um, to get the audience participating because normally they're just watching. But with Queen, they really tried to do that. And that's some of that feeling that you're trying to evoke. We're not going to be as good as, as Fred, Freddie Mercury, of course. Um, so, but what you want is when people are singing along, um, we want to tap into that energy and we can identify that and then we can borrow the techniques because once we, we can work out what it is that they're doing, then we can start to borrow those techniques. We, we want to be present in our magic and we want to explore the ideas of energy manipulation and active participation. And in this case, we want to do it through using our voices. We are taking control and ownership of our voices, of the work and of the magic that we are trying to do because we're witches. We're taking control of what it is that we're doing. Uh, gosh, you know, uh, so when you're talking about going to a concert and just being there and feeling that energy and everything, the electric in the air, uh, you know, I could definitely relate to that. And I've also had the experience of not only fully feeling that myself, but actually being on the other side and being desensitized. Because you used to work in festivals, uh, didn't you? Because I... Yes, I did. I worked in the music industry for, for over five years, um, not not singing or anything, but I did event production and I did a lot of the stuff behind the scenes backstage. And um, I did it through from like undergrad through grad school. And I cannot tell you, I think the last two and a half years of me working in that industry, I went from in the beginning like always being in the crowd and dancing and like super excited to be there to the very end of it of me bringing my laptop and writing a term paper <laughs> in the, the green room backstage or taking a nap in my car while there's a full concert going on. And let me tell you, I, that's a very strange experience because there's all this energy coming from the crowd and I'm over here yeah. writing about God knows what. And I what work in events or, too, or so I totally understand. But part of that is if you are in those mm -hmm. situations and you do get sensory overwhelmed as well is to learn how to shield. And to also use whatever physical things that you need as well. So it might be that you need noise-canceling headphones. Um, you can feel the energy, but you don't want to hear it. So there's there's all kinds of ways that we can work with um, identifying what works for us. So, yes, you can totally get over being in that concert situation. I totally understand. Um, and But also you can use that by going to that to work out what works for you. So do you... Um, 
find that you need to shield in that situation or do you need to dampen the noise that's coming in? Um, do you need to sit because the energy around you is too intense that's coming up through your feet? It, it really depends. So, yeah, that's a really good point, Ashley. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've definitely seen people through, through my years of, of concerts where there are some people who will just get overwhelmed being at a concert because the energy is so high. Um, I've also seen people who get so into the music that if they're at the front row and like they're head banging along or something, yeah. I've seen them smash their face into to the rail because they they're so entranced by the energy and the performer who is essentially directing the crowd that they don't even realize that they're yeah. about to and that's what actually i wanted to talk about that manipulation of energy via the voice in like a mundane well not it's not actually mundane i shouldn't call it mundane because that's very insulting but everything that i've said about performance and manipulating energy is something that you also see in a lot of evangelical and pentecostal church groups that people get that buzz the high mm -hmm. many people singing that ecstasy what we're trying to do, and yes, we are using a lot of the same techniques, but don't let that put you off. What we're trying to do is actually own it. We know what we're doing. We're not just trying to push that onto other people. We are owning our own ecstasy. We're acknowledging our manipulation of energy because it's often our ritual and magical goal to take that raised energy and to focus it. And we're doing it with consent and with will. So don't let the idea of manipulating energy via the voice put you off if you've been in situations that maybe weren't akin to where your heart lies. Um, it's literally what spell work is about. So that manipulation of energy, that controlling it, that using a lot of voices to work together to raise energy and to focus it in a way that is meaningful for the people that are there, it can be used in many different ways. and But if it's used with consent and it's used with will and it's used with the intent to do what the witch is trying to do, then that's a great thing and that's something that we're actually trying to do. So um, don't be afraid, basically. Yeah, yeah, I, I would definitely agree with everything that you just said. Um, gosh, it reminds me of, um, just as a total anecdote, uh, one time I was going to a witch's house and they lived across the street from, I want to say it was like a Pentecostal or a Baptist church, and um, uh, I think I want to say it was Pentecostal because I remember saying to them, I was like, so what, how is it on Sunday when all of this energy is raised by people who don't know what to do with it? And just it's kind of sitting in the air. Yeah. She's like, yeah, 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 I had to do some uh, things with that. Our <laughs> pagan folk like, band uh -huh. used to rehearse on a Sunday morning and there was a Baptist church across the laneway. So um, that was always interesting. There would be um, harmoniums and, and um, pagan chanty stuff happening in our garage and across the the way was the um the choir singing in the baptist church and we were all considerate of each other it was fine like you know we'd wave and everything but there was i'm sure going down the laneway between the two of those must have been a very interesting concept <laughs> yeah i mean churches in general the energy that they hold are just it's so varying i've definitely been in churches before where the second you walk in mm, it I feels don't. very welcoming i've also been in churches before where i feel like I'm a stranger walking into somebody's home that I don't really know. Yeah. And I feel very awkward there. Um, some just have that vibe in general. Also could, could just be something yeah. and who knows, <laughs> but that's what but definitely, that's the thing definitely is you're recognizing thing. that there's something different. So then if you can actually work with that and find out what it is, identify that, whether it's for good or ill. Um, and that way you can manipulate that energy in your own practice because manipulate isn't a bad word in this thing in this context because that's actually what we're doing so it's mm -hmm. don't be afraid of using that we're not trying to manipulate people to our own will we're trying to manipulate energy and we're trying to manipulate our our spellcraft basically uh, but we need to identify it in the mundane world so we can work it 
to our magical life, I suppose. Yeah. So, you know, we've talked a lot about manipulating the energy and identifying having a magical voice, but what are some ritual or magical situations where we would be able to use our voice? We're doing one now. We are using our voices to speak. Yes. Exactly. But we might also be speaking in an actual ritual situation. But most of the time what we're doing is that we're speaking, we're intoning, we're chanting, we're declaiming, and we're singing. And all of these are different types of the ritual voice that we could use. They all have slightly different uses and approaches, of course. But since I'm going to reference a lot of those terms, I thought it might be appropriate to give some definitions just so we're all on the same page for this. They're not really dictionary definitions as such, they're more basic definitions that work within the context of rituals and magic. So I'll probably call these forms for the moment, just because they're kind of forms of where we'd be using our voices. So speaking, as I said, just talking. In a ritual or a spell, this might be giving an instruction or a statement of purpose. So I am standing here before the altar of X to work the right of such and such. So that's my statement of purpose. Or I call upon the representatives of the element of fire to cleanse and consecrate this space. We are clarifying what we're doing in the ritual, what we're doing the ritual for, or we're giving instructions to someone else in the ritual space. And of course, we're going to try and do this in a fluid and natural manner, rather than just stopping in the middle of reciting an Orphic hymn and asking someone to pass the salt. It's all about the context. Um, We're still using our voice, but we're probably not using the magical voice, even when we're giving an instruction in a ritual. Then we have a drone, and a drone is usually a single held note for a whole piece of music, against which a melody is sung, hummed, or played. And drones can be produced by the voice alone or by instruments. They're not very common in modern popular music, but they still appear in folk music. And they can be intensely magical and used to anchor energies. And it's amazing how much power and resonance can be found in a single held note. So I've got my harmonium with me, so I'm going to play that so I can play a drone, but I'll just sing one to start with, which is um, just uh... so if that was held throughout the whole ritual, like not of course for a really long period of time, but just holding a note against someone else singing, that can be classed as a drone. But we can also have it as a, um, a musical instrument and there's lots of musical instruments that make drones this is a harmonium which is like a bellows with keys on it so so you can hear the drone coming through and I'll just sing around it for a bit Um, to dissipate but that's where you've got one note and then you can just sing around the 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 drone note and it can create this amazing resonance um and i will go into how we can use drones in ritual a bit later probably in the next episode depending on timing but um i just wanted to give an example of what that is i love drones we use them a lot i feel like i was just transported into like a ritual outside like in for the spring with like yep you know a little circle and people yeah. dancing around so that was uh, great yeah, you were yeah, using magical voice but the harmonium <laughs> the harmonium brings that out because it's a wooden instrument and your voice resonates with it really well um i'll talk about shruti boxes at some point but a shruti box is a wooden box that has like a couple of little wooden um slotted keys on it some reeds 
and a little bellows and it's like a little upright um, harmonium, I suppose. But you can hold it and when you play it, you sing across the top of it and your voice just resonates. Um, you can see lots of clips of them online. Um, they are fabulous. They're used in a lot of Indian um music as well but they are fabulous because the way the voice works with the wood it's like if you're singing against a recorder like a not the recorder that you do in school the plastic thing but a proper wooden um recorder there is a sound that happens between that and the human voice that is absolutely amazing i'm really lucky that there's someone in my band and in my circle who plays old um recorders and so they're amazing against a drone in ritual. It's like we just happen to be really lucky. We have a lot of musicians. There's also um, intoning, so I keep mentioning that. It's similar to a drone in that it usually involves a held note. It's mostly a word or a short phrase that's drawn out rather than just a sound. So intoning is often used for names. So if you read an instruction that says, vibrate the name of X, it's usually referring to intoning, not always, but most of the time it would be referring to intoning. If we're singing a note against a drone um, or rising up a scale, we might call that intoning too. So what I was just doing with the drone, I'm probably going to call that intoning. I'm singing around the note. But most of the time it's just holding one note with a name. So in our rituals, we often work with the kings of the elements, so we might intone the name of one of the kings. So in this case, Peralta. So I'll just intone the name Peralta and you can see what I mean. So this is a case where you would probably use the magical voice. I don't know if I'll get to it because, you know, there's a lot of stuff to talk about and I probably don't want to use up my short stash of <laughs> magical voiceness. Um, so... So that is an example of intoning a magical name. And you should be able to feel it coming through you. And again, I'll, I'll go into how to do that a bit later. Um, we ran a welcoming opening ritual for a gathering a couple of years ago where each person intoned their own name at the same time, magically announcing that they were present. And it was fabulous because it produced an amazing wall of sound and energy because names have power. So intoning them can be an interesting and useful magical technique. Chanting is something I keep mentioning as well. So a chant is either spoken or sung, but usually it's a short set of lines or stanzas that are repeated as opposed to something that I probably term in this context a declamation, which is a statement of purpose, such as a call to the Sabbath, a poetic story of purpose of the ritual, an evocation, an invocation of deity or spirit, a charge, which is speaking the channeled words of a, a deity or spirit. And a declamation can be spoken or sung. It's a whole piece, not repeated short phrases most of the time. But we often say we're chanting when we actually mean that we're declaiming most because we're trying to differentiate between what we're doing from just plain speaking to using the magical voice. So think of a declamation probably as a long form chant. Um, then we have singing. So we sing notes with or without words. We can sing chants. We can sing declamations. We can sing entire songs. We can sing a cappella, which is without accompaniment, or we can sing it with music. But when we use our magical voice is just as important as the form that we are using. And so commonly we'd use our voices for instructional purposes so I talked about that before so we would actually be speaking instructions unless you were doing spell casting the opera um 
and singing absolutely everything, um, we're not really using our magical voice when we're just giving instructions in a ritual. And then I mentioned short form chants. So they would be things like prayers or offerings, power raising, spell work and magic, statements of purpose and calls to ritual, like a short statement of purpose. Then our long format pieces could be if we're making an offering that's a bit longer or a dedication, invocations, charges, celebratory poetry, prophecy, um, actual declamations or something, and storytelling. So all of these can be things that are pre-written or performed with inspired utterance, so ad-libbed. It really depends on your personal style. Some people are really good at ad-libbing in a ritual, others not so much. They need to have something pre-written. You do what works for you. Um, did you want to comment on any of that, Ashley, before I kind of go into um, some of the like little techniques and elements of like ritual or anything? Have I confused everything? Oh, no, uh, that was all fantastic. That was a lot of great information. Um, you know, when you first started talking about how uh, using your voice as a form of magic, I could not help but think of the quote from Harry Potter, which completely wrote itself. It has no author at all, where <laughs> Dumbledore says that um, words are, in my not so humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic capable of both inflicting injury yeah. and remedying it. And yeah. Like, you know, I know it's Harry Potter, it's a book series, it's fiction, it's it's not real. We don't fly on broomsticks or Hogwarts. I have used music from Harry um, Potter soundtracks in ritual. I have used, um, I have you chanted things from Lord of the Rings in ritual. I'm all for incorporating pop culture cool. into things. Um, yeah, happily do it. And I've actually, I was going to talk about that a bit later of like where to find your inspiration and, and use things that work for you, especially when you're starting. Use stuff that you're familiar with, very much so. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, it's true. Like words are magic. And if you don't believe me, I mean, you can go up to somebody and just whatever you utter out of your voice can completely totally. make or break their day. You can go up to them and give them a huge compliment and that can make them happy. Or you can go up to them and say yeah. something not so nice and that might destroy their whole day or week or month. Like, you words don't know. Words have power. Please don't do that. Be yeah. nice to each other. Be kind. But yes, they do have power. Exactly. So your voice is absolutely one of your most basic and biggest magical totally. tools that you and have that's why we need to learn how to manipulate them well and to use them i'm not going to say use them for good you can use them for whatever purpose you want but um yeah just knowing how to use it and knowing that what you do will resonate on the astral for a while so do stuff with purpose uh the techniques for using the voice in ritual are mostly the same whether you're working by yourself um, with a couple of other people or with groups. So it can be just a bit harder to add in harmony and drones if you're by yourself, but it's not impossible. Like get a harmonium um, or a recording of one um, and you can do harmony and drones by yourself. I have a four-track recorder on my phone, so I just harmonize with myself all the time. Um, but that's just because I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to that. I often use recorded music to support my magical voice, even when working with a group, as I said, like using bits from Harry Potter and from Lord of the Rings. If you find the pieces that work for you, that speak to you and bring your whole body and magical being into alignment, then they are brilliant to use for both solitary and group work. It needs to speak to you on lots of different levels. So I do have lots of examples of chants, snippets of songs and intoning to share, but I thought it might be a good idea to briefly touch on a basic outline of what I call the elements of Wiccan-based ritual. I know not everyone is Wiccan and or Wiccan-based that's listening to this, but I just thought I'd give a bit of a an outline just because there's a whole lot of different 
bits of chanty bits and songs and intoning that can be used in different parts of a ritual liturgy. So if we understand those, then we can work out where it is that we're going to use certain pieces. So um, these are some examples. So elements of Wiccan-based ritual would be um, a preamble or a procession or a call to ritual. So the thing that happens before the ritual starts, it's that getting people into that magical mindset. Then creating sacred space or circle casting, power raising, a ritual statement of purpose, which is different to one that you'd be doing right at the beginning. It's like, we're here to celebrate this, come along. Um, it might be in the ritual after we've raised power that you're concentrating everyone on the work that you are doing. So you might have a ritual statement of purpose there. Then we could have an invocation or spell work or divination in our ritual. We could be doing sacred drama or celebration. We could have an act of transformation that's happening. Um, then we might do a grounding or return and a thanks and farewell all of these different things can have the magical voice incorporated into them um, and it can be um, we can do things silently we can do things spoken chanted sung or performed with gestures and most of the pieces that we write for our circles can be spoken or sung and so I did mention that I had a band so sometimes we have both a ritual version of a song that we use as part of our liturgy, for want of a better word. Um, and we also might have a performance version, which we might use for singing around a campfire or on stage. But you could also go the other way and you can use beloved lyrics or songs as part of your own ritual. So it's both. Use what works for you, really. Sometimes it might be that you're writing something for your ritual. Another time it might be you're using that killer soundtrack from a fabulous movie that is going to inform what it is that you're doing um, and I've written many rituals around pieces of music because they just, as I listened to them, they gave me that ritual form when I listened to the music. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely agree with you. Um, also, yeah, speaking on uh, if people are Wiccan or not, I would say not everybody listens to this as Wiccan. There's a lot more people who base themselves around witchcraft. But either way, everything that's covered in this episode should be able to be applied throughout whatever your, your practice yeah, is or your because background is. if whatever practice that you're doing and whatever rituals you're doing or spells, then identifying the different aspects that go into making up how your ritual is structured, whether they're structured or not, is really helpful because then you can work out ways to make them happen well for you to improve them to actually own what it is that you're doing so just because these are the elements of say a wiccan based ritual not an, like it doesn't have to be an initiatory wicca this is like a wiccan based kind of ritual um by identifying those i've worked out where and how i can work out what i'm doing in that ritual and i know that I want that these to be very specific sections or I want them to all carry over into one thing. It might be that we're just using one piece of music for the whole ritual and so um, everything flows naturally into each other. It could also be that I need very specific sections in the ritual. But I can't do that if I don't know what those sections are to start with. So it's knowing your own um, ritual formats is really, really good because then you can work out when you're going to use the magical voice or when you're not. And what's the difference between just speaking an instruction to yourself even and singing all out? Um, did you want some kind of examples of things? Okay. Oh, my well, gosh, yes. No, I, I started off <laughs> <laughs> I, I started off saying that, um, you know, I do a lot of um, working out stuff when I'm kind of cleaning or washing up or something. And I did promise a sweeping chant. So um, I do have one. Um Chants should roll off the tongue. 
And I'm going to get into accents and things a bit later and, and working out what works for you. But if you keep repeating it over and over fast and slow and it still stays, stays the same, it still works for you, you can still say it well, then your chant will work. If it falls over and gets too um, run into each other or becomes a tongue twister, then it probably won't work. Chants can just be nonsense words. They can be um, chants in a different language. They can be um, used in different parts of the ritual. As I said, if you if you know what parts of the ritual you want to use something in, then you can write something or find something that's going to work for that section. So the sweeping chant is to be used whilst you're sweeping. It's an active chant because it's being used while someone is moving and it's very descriptive of what's happening. Um, because it's an active chant, because we're sweeping, it needs to have p places where you can breathe and it needs to be short and sweet and something that can be chanted over and over again as you're moving. Um, if it doesn't have a rhythm that works with the action that you're trying to do, then it's not going to work for sweeping. Um, I actually made, so this particular sweeping chant is talking about a broom and I made a broom to use with this chant and I'll tell you about it in a second. So the, the chant is, all that be ill be swept away by birch and ash and sickled hay, bound by willow, stung by thorn, tread the mill of the circle born. All that be ill be swept away by birch and ash and sickled hay, bound by willow, stung by thorn, tread the mill of the circle born. And as you can imagine, you're kind of sweeping around the circle as you're chanting that, and it could be many voices or one voice. Um, and so I did make a broom for this chant. It was birch and hay for the bristles with an ash staff. It was bound by willow withy and a hawthorn thorn that's piercing the bristle and staff to pin everything in for stability. Um, and the chant works whether you have a matching broom or not. I just happened to write this particular chant for a large public ritual and I was making um, the broom for that. But we use it for lots of things because it just works. So that's our um, our sweeping chant. Do you have any chants that you use for sweeping at all, Ashley, or heard ones? Yeah, for, so for our outer court, we do have a, uh, a besom chant that we use. Um, it's something new that we're starting to do that I had never used before my working partner, or that was something that they did in their outer court. So, um, I don't know the words off the top of my head, unfortunately. It is a lot longer though than <laughs> that you gave, which is part of the reason yeah. that I don't know all the words. And, and we've got uh, ones that are songs it. as well that can be sung. I mean, I'm not going to do them here, but there's, there's ones that are, are songs that I've used for sweeping and like there's a stanza for each round of going around the circle um, and they work really well. This one was being used at a public gathering and it just kind of slipped into place and it works for that because it's short and it's easy for people to learn. Um, and speaking of like Sabbath, so because that was written for a particular Sabbath for a gathering, um, the same one um we've used this particular chant. This is a spring equinox chant. And I think I wrote this for the uh, a spring equinox gathering in about 2005 or something. And it just describes what's going on in the Sabbath, basically. And so it can be used for power raising. Um, it can be used for spell work in the Sabbath. It, it really depends. But it's the moon goes round the earth the earth goes round the sun. When day and night are equal, the greening has begun. The moon goes round the earth. The earth goes round the sun. When day and night are equal, the greening has begun. And you can keep chanting that. And you can imagine people like circle dancing to that. It works really, really well. 
Yeah, so really uh, but it is literally describing what's going on. So it's the spring equinox. So um, the moon goes around the earth, the earth goes around the sun. When day and night are equal, the greening has begun. So that's basically the spring equinox. And so it means that people are getting that biosmosis even, the the reason for the season, I suppose, in that particular thing. Um, of course, you know, some people have different ways that they celebrate the spring equinox. That's fine. This is just a chant that works for um, this particular event. But that's like a greening one. And then I've got one that's a, a, a more of a um, instead of power raising a scrying chant. So this is a dark moon um, scrying chant. And this is chanted whilst everyone is trance dancing around a cauldron or a bowl of black ink, um, which is being used as a dark mirror. And everyone's kind of dancing around it, free dancing. And the last person standing scries into the bowl and speaks trance prophecy. So we have like an area in a circle with some cushions around it as well. People are dancing there. Um, they've been doing lots of ritual things. They've built up. So the bowl of black ink um, has had lots of layers into it of um, different elemental things. And the last thing that happens is this ink is poured in and it kind of sucks you down as you're looking into the bowl and so then people start moving and dancing and chanting and then eventually they will just kind of fall over into the cushions and sit and think and scry inwardly but the last person that's standing will actually look into the big bowl and then they will give a trance prophecy for everybody else in the ritual so the chant for that is Dark the moon and dark the night, bring the gift of second sight. Dark the moon and dark the night, bring the gift of second sight. Dark the moon and dark the night, bring the gift of second sight. And it just keeps chanting. But it also might be that people are dancing around to that in different patterns and different steps, depending on what it is that we're doing. But it can also start really slow um, and get fast, or it can start really fast. And then as the trance is coming on, it gets slower and slower and slower. So being able to manipulate the tempo, the pitch and everything of a chant can actually be very important in what it is that you're doing. So use what works for the ritual placement, I think. Um, and probably the most famous ritual placement, I suppose, is circle casting, which is used in um, a lot of um, Wiccan-based uh, rituals and for some witchcraft things as well. So this is a circle cast chant. Um, it's only short, it can be spoken or sung. And it again is basically saying exactly what's happening in the moment. So this circle cast chant is by the blade of circle born between the worlds of boundary formed by the powers raised herein to guard without and hold within be this circle cast. So depending on how long it takes you to get around the circle, you could be saying it slowly or you could be chanting it over and over again to get you around the size of the circle. It depends on whether it's like a huge one with lots of people or one that's just a tiny one in your bedroom. But that can also be sung. So um, And it has a slightly different feel to it when it's sung, which is, By the blade a circle born between the worlds a boundary formed by the powers raised herein to guard without and hold within be this circle cast be this circle cast so that's the um the circle cast song um I've got a, a couple more um, chants that move from chant into song and then change their nature. 
But um, did you want to talk about any examples of any of those at all, Ashley, before I move on to the, like, the big one, the big magical voice piece? No, you you were doing a fantastic <laughs> job. Please keep going. I'm, I'm over here writing notes like, man, that scrying thing's really cool. And like, oh, I never thought about singing yeah. as I go around the Sorry. circle. Like, it's, yeah, no, no, please keep passion. going. I'm, I'm, I just, I'm I just, loving these and I, taking notes. You know, one of these days I will write <laughs> Circle Casting the Opera, but, you know. Um, so this is this is a famous <laughs> song, and but there's a lot of different versions of it. Um, so this is about sacred drama or transformation and it's a piece that has the same tune but it evokes different emotions and it has a different rhythm so we're about changing the musical style to suit the ritual purpose so happy versus sad same tune different rhythm okay so the first example is uh, Midsummer Song, which is Oak and Ash and Thorn. It's based on the 1906 Kipling poem with the tune by Peter Bellamy, and it's just a famous bit of it that is used. So one that people would be familiar with, which is, Oh, do not tell the priests of our dance, for they would call it a sin. For we have been in the woods all night, a conjuring summer in. We give good news by word of mouth, good news for cattle and corn. The sun is rising up in the south by Oak and Ash and Thorn. Sing, Oak and Ash and Thorn, the boys, all on a midsummer's morn. Surely we sing of no little thing with Oak and Ash and Thorn. And it weirdly took me a while to realise that the autumn equinox song that we used in the first grove that I joined was really just um, using alternative lyrics sung to the same jaunty oak and ash and thorn tune. These lyrics are, of course, more suited to a harvest festival, and I don't know who wrote them, but they go like this, using the same tune, which is, John Barleycorn is cut down dead, it is his time to die. The sun that warmed our summer days no longer is so high. We praise him and our God is fair, we thank them for the corn. We gather in the harvest now and leave the fields forlorn. And then we have the other version, now, this is a dirge version, which a friend and I wrote it, like we reworked it, and it has some haunting harmonies in it. And we used it for a ritual because the jaunty tune of the autumn version didn't really work when what we were doing in the ritual was a drama enacting the killing of the Corn King. And this bit is really a mood, and it's suited to the magical voice. So normally I'm doing it as a kind of, invocation-y thing it's a transformation we in the ritual would be mourning the king so we might have been dancing around him and someone comes up to him with a sickle and it's put to his neck and someone else splashes him with like tomato sauce or wine or something and he falls to the ground and is covered in a um a cloth and we're ritually mourning and keening for john barleycorn being cut down dead celebrating it at the same time but also um, morning. So this is how we can take one piece of music and change it to suit a ritual purpose. So John Barleycorn is cut down dead. It is his time to die. The sun that warmed our summer days no longer is so high we praise him and our god is fair we thank them for the corn we gather in the harvest now and leave the 
feet Polo That's what I'm talking about. So, that was amazing. That's what I'm talking about. That was about. so good. <laughs> that's my, my, my hopefully perfect example of the magical voice. <laughs> no, that was, yeah. that was amazing. But it's the that same piece. So it's just the way that you use it. So feel free to take, you know, a well-known song and change it into a different thing that works for your purpose in your ritual. As long as you're doing it with taste, you know, you've got to, you've got to keep the taste. But um, that particular piece can also work with a drone. So I'll just set my um, drone note on this and I'll show you what I mean. So. John Barleycorn is cut down dead. It is his time to die. The sun that warmed our summer days no longer is so hard. So you can see what I mean about um, how it can work with a drone as well. And it changes it again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's understanding what it is that you're doing with the magical voice and how you're incorporating the music and the songs and stuff into your ritual. And also how many times you've done it because chants actually build up power over time. They imprint on the astral. And as soon as you begin chanting them, they begin to resonate and they take you to that state of mind. So that dirge version of John Barleycorn is cut down dead. We have sung many, many times. I've sung it in huge amounts of rituals. I've sung it with um, different people using different harmonies. I've sung it in like a bowl valley where when we sung it and the corn king was killed, that it echoed off the walls of a valley and everything. I've also sung it really quietly. It really depends. But every time we do it in a ritual, it resonates and impacts on those that have gone before. So it just kind of starts to pick up that energy, um, which is why it's different using the, like the happy version and the dirge version is because depending on which one you're using you'll tap into that different energy of what's gone before so as with quite a lot of ritual elements if you have ritually repeated an action so many times that just the act of starting it puts you into that magical mindset and space and the magical act in this case a particular chant becomes the trigger so what we're doing is we're building up magical intent and patterns that we choose to make magical at some point it's just that the focus is now automatic or second nature and that's something that we're trying to achieve we want to do new things we also want to do things that are going to resonate um, which is why you'll find that there's a lot of ritual rituals and chants and spells and everything that use certain patterns because they're ones that you can tap into really easily you get into that space it's like treading a well-worn path kind of thing agreed yeah <laughs> you know uh, it's funny because I'm actually thinking I did an episode on mm. the ritual mindset as well and um yeah definitely like these are definitely ways that you can use to trigger yourself to get into these mindsets um even something like if you're not completely there, what you're talking about earlier, using yeah. the, the broom chant, using something like that from the beginning, even if you don't really feel it when you're holding the broom, as soon as you start kind of singing or chanting or intoning or however you're repeating that, uh, totally. yeah, it can really yeah. help. And you that's what there. I mean about, but it's knowing your own triggers and there's good triggers and there's bad triggers as you yep. know. And, you know, so you, um, you do the things that, um, part of what we're doing over time and all of this stuff takes time as a new witch or something, 
you're not going to get this straight away and that's fine it takes quite a lot of turns of the wheel it takes quite a lot of turns to actually get to this point where you can just tap into something um and that's what when you're working by yourself or you're working with a group that you have these internal triggers that you build upon and that you actively um create and cultivate so that you can go into these things that's why some it looks really easy for some people but it wasn't in the start everyone try, had to try it's just that over time you get established patterns that you can work with as well and then when you break those patterns that's also really interesting because it changes the energy as well yeah yeah i definitely agree with all of so that. i went through a bit of chance um but people are probably thinking, well, yeah, so if I am starting, how do we go about finding and using our magical voice? I will go um, because, you know, we can only do so much in one episode and Ashley did say we're going to do two. I will do like actual physical <laughs> techniques of doing things. Um, I, I've, I've written out that. And everybody listening will probably understand yeah, yeah. now. Oh, no, why I'm sorry. It's just do like two. no verbal diarrhea. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> oh, don't apologize. This is this is fantastic. So, Do not um, apologize. I wanted to yeah talk a bit about how we can go about finding and using our magical voice. Not so much the technique of it, which we'll go into later, because it's about you know breathing and standing and all of that. But I think one of the easiest ways is to find some pagan music that you like and learn the lyrics and sing along during your rituals in a focused manner. So um, just learn something. Find a piece. Learn it. If you're working your rituals and magic as a solitary. You want to willfully use music and the voice to take you to states of being that are usually only accessed in group work. So you can use music and voice to layer what you're doing. So gain confidence by singing to yourself, learning how to chant without stumbling over words. Feel the movement of the words as they pass through your body and the notes that resonate with your soul. And this will aid your ritual experience. If you do end up seeking a group or you want to attend a public or semi-private group ritual, you'll also be able to join in with less anxiety than if you had never attempted it before because learning how to chant takes practice. Learning how to find your own voice takes practice. Learning how to not feel anxious for singing along to something that you have to concentrate on is a skill. It takes time. You're not going to get it all of the time. And also not every chant or song will work for you. I wanted to talk a bit about emphasis of syllables in chants. You need to work with what works with your own accent. My emphasis and my speech patterns are different to everybody else's. They're also different across continents, across states, across the world. So use your own accent and your own emphasis. You have permission to do this. It's not you don't have to sing in, a, in an accent that is foreign to you just because you've heard it on a recording. Um, so not all chants will work for you. They just don't scan right. If, if it doesn't work for you, that's okay. So you can find one that does. And this is why it can be important to understand the chants that are used in spells. You need to understand the meanings and the intent before you adapt to what naturally flows well for you. Um, in the next episode, we can explore some of the practical techniques for using the magical voice, as well as some more examples on how to use drones and intoning. And we can also look at incorporating gestures and movement with chanting, and that will probably make things make a bit more sense in um in how like we use patterns because if you're dancing something then the way that you actually emphasize a word um or a speech pattern would change depending on how you're chanting it just straight um if you listen to recordings of say um Dorian Valiente or Joel Gardner or something you might find that the way that they're speaking something 
is doesn't work in your accent and that's fine so you adapt things you work it out if you listen to um there's a lot of videos on youtube about people um speaking shakespearean language um the words of shakespeare in accents that would have been um around at his time and there's puns that become apparent that you didn't know were there because if you're speaking with a particular accent there's words that rhyme or that become puns that in our modern accents we wouldn't be picking up on so there's a lot of work around that so you know if people can uh, can look work on different accents and everything for shakespeare we can do that in our witchcraft we can know that um we don't have to sing along to a very specific accent from someone from the reclaiming tradition in the 1980s that was on a recording we can use our um, own accent for something. And I think that's important. So I think people get hung up on something. They're trying to, they're listening to a recording. They're trying to um, to chant something and it just sounds really silly in the way that they're doing it. And they just get discouraged. Find your own voice. That's perfectly fine, I think. It's your magical voice. Gosh, you know, you made a really good, uh, or I'm really happy that you brought this up because I, I was going to say, if you don't bring this up this episode, mm. we definitely have to talk about the next one. But uh, but talking about the accents, when you and I first got together to discuss um, having or doing these episodes, uh, one of the first things you told me or were giving an example about was how accents can completely change things in ritual. If you're um, listening to a recording, like you said, like an old, an old school one where they're talking in a certain way and then you're trying to replicate that. It might not sound the same or it might sound a little bit different. Or if you're using your own accent, it can completely change the whole ritual. And that really yeah. blew my mind. <laughs> I got to tell you, after I left that conversation, you know how many people <laughs> I hit up in the magical community? And I was like, have you guys ever thought about this? Because damn, I haven't. And this makes so much sense Because things that just don't now. work. I mean, I've, I've been in circles where someone's gone, we are a circle within a circle. In Australia, it doesn't work. It sounds very strange. It makes perfect sense if someone's American and singing it, <laughs> but it, the way in this translated accent that doesn't work. The chant works, but the um, it doesn't work in their own accent. Um, unless you're doing the whole ritual in, um, like we, we also do lots of things where we will take snippets of um, languages that are appropriate to the ritual setting that we're using. And in that case, you might be chanting in a particular accent, but that works within the context of the ritual. It's not, I find that if people are chanting not in their own accent for, um, I mean, it might be a more refined accent than their speaking voice. That's perfectly fine. But um, if they're not using their an accent that sits within their own resonance, then it can sound really weird. I mean, I do have a friend who is actually an accent specialist um, and an uh, amazing specialist in the magical voice and is a is an actual vocal coach and everything. And I've heard him do things when he does them like incredibly because he can. He's trained in doing accents and he's trained in doing them appropriately and he teaches other people how to do it. I'm not. I'm not going to try and do a um, uh, an accent for something that doesn't work for my own kind of way of chanting in my rituals because it'll just sound silly. And I sound silly enough in a lot of other things, so I you know, don't want to sound silly in my ritual. Well, you definitely didn't sound silly today. This was this was so fantastic. Um, yeah, I am really looking forward to everything we're going to cover in episode two. And I really hope all the listeners are too, because again, like, I, I feel so lucky I was able to That's have this fun. conversation with you. <laughs> I'm definitely taking I'm definitely taking a lot of things from this episode and, and putting them in my notes of uh, things I need to go bug my my magical friends about yeah. that we all need to do together. Uh, definitely this crying thing, for example. Definitely, I just find this stuff fun. Do that. I know it's horrifying for some people, but I just it is it fun. fun. It is fun. I, you know, I, I agree with you. I think it's a lot of fun. I mean, I'm not a singer. I sang in a, in middle school. I 
had a solo at one point, but I was an alto. So, you know, the Sopranos got all the main things, but it's still fun. And, you know, I'm one of those people I found through my time as being a pagan that I tend to really like the quote unquote cheesy pagan music. And I never thought I'd be one of those people, but man, like that reclaiming album that's on Spotify with like the tan background, I think from like the seventies or eighties or something about that, that just slaps. And I'm like, I hate I like it's not that I hate that I like it. But it I'm works, just like, but then you can you can adapt that for your own thing. It's like there was a an album, Ancient Mother, as well that had a lot of the chants on it, um, and they were the only ones that people knew because they were recorded, and that's what we had. We didn't have the internet when I started, so it was um, you learnt stuff by um, tape, you know, cassette um, <laughs> that everyone had. It's like before CDs, and um, so. Yeah, and then they would get taped and passed around and that's how why they got used at so many different events because um, that's what people learnt. And then but giving people permission just to themselves to actually write their own I think is important because people think, oh, no, this is established chant, I can't write my own. It's like I could never do that. And it's like, yeah, you can. I've done whole workshops on how to write chants. Can't do it in this one, of course, but um, I've got whole workshops on how to write um, words of power and writing chants and writing invocations and charges and using um, words of power in rituals and then layering them all up on top of each other because I just enjoy that. I find it fascinating as a, as a practical and intellectual exercise. Not everyone does. I totally understand that. But if you come to my rituals, you'll, you'll probably get thrown in the deep end of chanting something. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I'm in the process of um, hosting an outer court with my high priestess Hazel yep. from like the Peace of Torches podcast and him and I, as we're curating some of our outer court materials and for the Sabbaths for in such, we have developed different chants that we would like to use. And I was just talking to him the other night about this one chant that we came up with because I was telling him, I was like, hey, I really want to have some background drumming with this because it's going to be fun and exciting and raise a lot of energy. And so I went on Spotify and I was looking up all these different drum beats and like changing the setting of how fast yep. and how slow they went. And uh, him and I were just on a video call going through them and and just like singing at these chants essentially for like great. 20 minutes, maybe 15. Um, and it's fun because we're just like, oh, like, well, what about this drum sound? And like, what about that one? And we're just like going back and forth. And, and it was low-key yep. so much fun And we've fun done rituals do. that we free chant and free drum. So I'll have drums. I've got quite a few good percussionists and musicians in my circle. So I'm really lucky. And um, we will have drums and like wind chimes and stuff around the circle. And um, we might be doing some kind of ritual and someone will be on one of the big drums using the um, the drumsticks, but just really loosely. So you kind of find the pattern of the invocation and that becomes the drum. Um, someone else will be doing um, the harmonium because the harmonium itself, you can actually do rhythm on because it has um, a bellow. So if, if I do this, it's like... So you can kind of hear that you can actually make it, you can move the bellows in a... Um, in a particular rhythm so that works well and we have like a like a, a long wind chime hung up on the side of the temple where as someone as the people are kind of trance dancing around the circle they might just run their fingers along it and you get this little note of um of all the wind chimes going down the scale or um so all kinds of stuff Ooh. because it builds this energy and people find um you know how when water finds its level it's the same kind of thing in that ritual setting where people will find the bit that works for them in that ritual and they will just build this wall of sound, this amazing energy of music and chant and dance and, and then there'll be things that's like, 
can we please remember this because this was really good can we use this chant again um sometimes it's gone forever and it's just a moment <laughs> but other times it's like get out of circle write it down and um and keep using it so yeah and it's, <laughs> and it's what moves you there's no point doing it if, if it doesn't move you and resonate in your soul yeah literally totally. and figuratively <laughs> yeah and you know i think um when I was talking about the the quote unquote cheesy pagan music, I think that I had this, I don't want to call it a negative connotation. I think that's a little bit too intense of what I'm trying to portray. But I think that at first I had this kind of like cringe reaction to it because I felt, I don't know, kind of like weird saying like, we all come from the goddess, you know, I'm like, oh, like it's kind of cringy sounding as somebody who was new into witchcraft and paganism at the time. But it, it ended up being one of those things that I found when I kind of just lost myself in that chant and like threw myself into it, there was a completely different undertone that that exactly had that I did not expect or know. And now I'm like, hell yeah, we all come from the goddess. Like it's a fire ass yeah. chant. Like I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, it's one of those things we've, we've talked about a couple of times now of having to kind of get over those insecurities or anxieties of feeling silly, feeling nervous about doing something, saying something out loud or in your mind, that's definitely a real thing. But, you know, it's kind of like being an armchair witch. You can't, you can't think yourself out of those anxieties. You can't think yourself out of that. And you can make it your own. You can make it your own. If you're feeling that. Like, as I was saying with the three different versions of the Okanashan Thorn Shoe, you know, you find the thing that works for you. So you make it and you adapt things for the use that you need them for at that time. I've got songs that I've got six different versions of because they've, they've got different ones with choruses, without choruses, chanted, slightly different tunes depending on whether they're played with an instrument or they're sung. Um, and that's because they're being used in, a, in the appropriate way for the time that we're using them. And so that's fine. If it's cheesy, great. It makes it easy, easy to remember. Start there. Yeah, it's one of those things you have to actually just kind of do it and immerse yourself in it. And I mean, hopefully, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't want to come across that I'm dissing any of the songs because, as I've, I've now mentioned a couple of times, actually, I really like them a lot. Um, but I think you know, getting into this, I was just like, mm, I don't know. But now, yeah, now, now I'm all about it. Now I'm like, hell yeah, let's have a whole chant episode. Yeah. I love this shit. Like, this is great. Uh, um, and Gabby, you did such an amazing job this episode. I mean, I, I'm really Thank stoked you. to do part it was two. Fun. Thank you and, so much um, for having yeah, me on. Yeah. This was such a fun episode, especially hearing you like sing and play different uh, instruments. Like this has been such a great thing. I, I mean, seriously, um, I can't <laughs> thank you enough for this. <laughs> um so I know we're wrapping up the end of the episode. Is there any final thing that you would like to say about anything that we've talked uh, about before we close really. I think I've, I've got um, things that I can put in for the for the next episode. Just if um, – so we have a, a website. We haven't updated it for a while, but there's a lot of um, chants there and a lot of rituals, and you can see how rituals are incorporated into chant. My group is called Apple Grove. And the website is www.applegroveonline.com. Um we haven't updated it for ages so there's a whole lot there is actually a whole new website that's sitting there ready to kind of go live when we finish it so um so some of the the terminology has probably changed over time but there's a lot of stuff there and there's meditations and there's chants and there's songs and there's all kinds of different things where if you want to look at how you can incorporate chants into rituals go read some of those it's all southern hemisphere though so you just need to flip it around in your mind that's about it really 
Great. And if anybody wanted to get in contact with you and ask or ask you a question, um, just or anything, tag me how on the Seeking Witchcraft, um, the um, which is Seeking Witchcraft Facebook group is probably the easiest because I do hang around there a lot. So um, just tag me through there and then we can chat. That's probably the easiest, I think. Okay. Yeah. And if somebody can't find you, if they want to yep. just tag one of the admins, we can, we can definitely yep. uh, link you up. Uh, yep. I'm on the, the, the um, British um, traditional Wicca yeah. Discord as well under Blaze. Yep. Oh, okay. I didn't realize you were in the Discord. I'm in there too, but I yep. always forget about the Discord. <laughs> I, I don't I don't yep. use a lot of servers at all, so <laughs> I always forget that that exists. <laughs> yep. I too am on that Discord. <laughs> um, okay, um, one more thing. So if you had one piece of advice for a beginner, what would you give them? Don't be embarrassed and just do it. And even if you're just doing it in your head, it's fine. But give it a go because it opens up a whole new world of ritual and magical and spellcraft possibilities that you maybe didn't know that existed. I love that. We all have to start somewhere. Indeed. Cool. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on. Uh, if, if uh, as we mentioned, there is going to be a part two of this, but you can find out more about that and you can get in contact with me on Facebook. I, I have a Facebook page where I post memes called Seeking Witchcraft Podcast. As Gabby mentioned, we there is a Facebook group as well called Witches Seeking Witchcraft. And I have a Twitter, it's at Seek Witchcraft, Instagram at Seeking Witchcraft. And if you'd like to support the podcast and gain access to a, a, a Discord page that we do for the, for the podcast, uh, I, I do have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Seeking Witchcraft. All right. Well, I hope everybody has a great night or day or whenever you are listening to this. And Gabby, thanks again so much for coming on. I can't wait for part two. Thank you so much. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.